Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. Damn! He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. It's a new day, it's a new year, and we're looking forward to a leaner, meaner version of Free Range Idiocy in 2021, or maybe I'm just engaging in some serious wishful thinking about my waistline. Regardless, one thing is for sure, last year was all about the Mandalorian and survival, which brings us to our topic for this, episode 52, Not Dead Yet. <clears throat> My name is Todd, and with me, as always, is a man who has only one New Year's resolution, but we have no idea where he's going to get a grill big enough to spit roast a buffalo. He is the executioner number one to my executioner number two. It's too bad we always have to work under a mask because we're so damn pretty. I give you the man they call Tim. Resolutions are made to be broken, my brother. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm pretty much sure that's that's the only reason people make resolutions is so they can break resolutions. <laughs> I have given up on that junk, man. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. It's it's like a different kind of stretch goal of sorts, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna try, but I know I'm not gonna make it. Oh <laughs> hell no! I'll give it a shot. Like you like, you know, I'll give it the old college try. Like, oh really? So you can get drunk and sleep in and miss your class? Is that that college try? God, that one I'm familiar with. I mean, if <laughs> if the listeners would like to email in the over under on how many episodes until we hit a three hour tome again, please do, because I, I would love to know what people think. <laughs> Oh, no, that's off the boards. Vegas has got that one off the boards, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Okay. We're, tr- we're trying to maybe trim down a little bit here in 2021, but who knows? I mean, we continue under lockdown and everything else. I mean, <laughs> nothing else to do. So just we'll just, you know. Alone. Exactly, like Led Zeppelin or a politician running for office. Anyways, so I'm not even going to ask you to, uh, to, to name the tag team because I just saw that one and I was like, hey, that one's an easy one. Why not? I'll, I'll admit it. And it, I just like, I, you know, I like the day back when you had those things. Like, I just remember when I first started watching wrestling as a kid mm-hmm. and the conquistadors were the thing, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> the conquistadors. I love that. And, it just made no sense. Like, just two guys in all, like, gold spandex outfits. Yes. And I was like, sure, whatever. You know, like, and that's the thing. Like, we, there's no more jobber tag teams either, which I kind of miss that whole thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Just those teams that you see them come out, you're like, oh, they're getting their butts kicked. No question about it. They are getting their butts kicked. That is something I do miss from from the from that era of the '80s and and the squash matches is is having those jabroni you know singles or or jabroni tag teams where you know especially when they face like a team like the Legion of Doom or Demolition where it's really all about can they contort these poor souls' yeah. bodies in such a way to make them look really really nasty you know I mean it was really you know. The, the result was never in question. No. <laughs> it was more about how badly were they going to get physically contorted. Is someone going to be maimed at the end of this match? Oh, my god. That was gosh. the only question. That was the only question. <laughs> 
Oh, well, so that brings us, let's move right on into the Weekend Geek and mm-hmm. see what we got going on. The Week in Geek. Feels so funky. Leaner and meaner. Uh, so, as has been our custom since the beginning of the NFL season, uh, th- this will be our, our last touch point, our last check-in, if you will. Even if you won't, if I may borrow an Uncle Toddism. Uh, Final Fantasy uh, football report, my friend. A, a, oh, oh a hang on a second. Hang final on a second. look. Hang on a second. Did you hear that? No. I know this hasn't even been published yet, but I just I can I it's like I heard the voice of a thousand listeners cry out saying, "Thank God!" <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about your fake football team. Oh my gosh! Or yep. maybe that was just my wife upstairs. I'm not sure. <laughs> Todd, no one cares. <laughs> it's really 50-50. <laughs> well, uh, my my fate has been sealed for a number of weeks. I, uh, uh, th- you know, all thanks to us having kind of a, a jobber team in the league to even things out and allow us to have a league. Uh, I ended up in seventh place. Uh, you, sir, how, how did you end up faring? Because uh, I believe when we last recorded, you were in the throes of a consolation bracket, and we're not entirely sure what your final standing was going to be. Where'd you end up? The, the 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 bracket turned out to be not much of a bracket. It was like one consolation game. They're like, oh, by the way, you're fifth. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't much of a consolation because I'm I'm ending the season fairly close to where I started. <laughs> it's a long way to the top. <laughs> If you start out the season 1 and 0, oh, that's not bad. When you start out the season like I did, it's bad news, ladies and gentlemen. So 8-4 and 1 was my final record mm-hmm. and you know, my fake football team just did not come through for me and they all hate you. Apparently not everybody hated me. They must have loved seeing me coming in the playoffs cuz they just rolled right over me. <laughs> saw me coming and it was like Barry Horowitz run into the ring they're like oh here's fresh meat I was gonna say yep Barry Horowitz Iron Mike Sharp you name it the Red Rooster they I mean, all whoever. hate you actually it, was, it, it is more Red Rooster-ish because I, I got a definitive push somewhere in there until they realized like eh this ain't happening you you yeah and 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 I've noticed your tone has changed you you were so much more positive and and and, oh, and yeah. energetic and peppy about it like four weeks ago and now it's like ah oh, they stink well yeah because oh, I I lost and I have no stake in this team it's a it's a fake made up team so you ended but, up in fifth. Yes. So two spots ahead of you. For all of my conniving and and dealing and wheeling and and excitement, I just barely finished out the season ahead of you. <laughs> and I was five and eight, seventh place. Now, Yahoo this this year, uh, as as typical for them, uh, they they threw a extra little nugget in there. Uh, you know, new feature uh, for for us uh, fantasy footballers, uh, and it is called the season story. Ah, uh, yes. And I'm not going to talk about the whole season story, but I do want to call out this one particular part. There, There is a, a section called Projected in Final Standings. Where mm-hmm. do you stack up against your league mates? And it's broken into four quadrants. So if you will imagine four quadrants, you have your overachievers, you have your ballers, and then in the bottom row you have class clowns and then slackers. Guess which one not just one of us, but both of us landed in. <laughs> oh, Gee, this one's really tough. On brand, baby. On brand. Keep it in mind. Class clowns. Class clowns all around. 
Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, makes yeah, sense. totally. Makes now, well, actually, I, I think I was more of a slacker, honestly. <laughs> Class clown was you because you kept on you kept on starting Cam Newton. I, which I, you and Bill Belichick are the only two people <laughs> on this planet who kept starting Cam Newton, and everyone else is like, "Why in the hell are they doing that?" I can't. Why? I can't argue. You are the only two human beings on the planet who thought that was a good idea. Even Cam Newton didn't think it was a good idea. I'm sure he was surprised every week when he saw his name on the depth chart. Going, really? <laughs> okay. No argument for me. I uh, I just oh th- this this year was. And I can't totally blame the COVID, but I will partially blame it because it, it did influence my ability to play certain consistently good players. But uh, yeah, yeah, Cam Newton did a number on me, and it, it, it was entertaining <laughs> to see how uh, I could find new and inventive ways to lose during the week. So I kept waiting for you to get a negative point, negative points for Cam oh, one week. Oh, you stop! I was waiting on it. I was like, I. I'm quite honestly surprised it didn't happen. So there's a positive for you. Oh, man. Yeah. But I thought it was apropos. Class clown. Sadly, we did not have Idiot Bowl 2. It will have to wait until next year when we face off in regular season head-to-head competition. Yeah, we'll see about that. I barely caught on for fantasy football this year, and I'm... I think I might be retiring. You got to admit it was entertaining. Oh, don't retire. Come on. We got to have at least one more Idiot Bowl. No, I don't want to stretch this out. I don't want to be like the Jeff George of uh, fantasy football. Just no, no, you are not Jeff year. George. You are the Wayne Fonts, my friend. Wayne Fonts oh, does well in the regular season and then kicks it in the in the playoffs, my friend. Actually, eight four and one is a very Wayne Fonts sort of <laughs> sort of record when it comes down to it. That guy just kept hanging on to that job. It was just like he should have been fired three years earlier, but he kept doing so well. There was a there was a special on the on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wish I could remember where I found it. I'll see if I can. It might have been on YouTube somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. But it was a uh, it was all about the the original formation of the of the team and as, mm-hmm. as an expansion franchise. And Wayne Fonts was part of the the coaching staff of the original Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which oh. totally makes sense when you consider that he wound up in Detroit. Like, you knew that stink was going to follow him somewhere. And so, but apparently his thing was, like, during the week when he's at work, it was Wayne Fonts. When he went out on Friday and Saturday night, it was Wayne Fontes. <laughs> <laughs> which I heard that and I'm like, I can totally believe that. I, I'm Even if that's wrong, I'm choosing to believe it. Because I really want to just picture Wayne Fonts like, ah, hi, my name is Wayne Fontes. I just, I just want to believe it. You killed my father. That. Prepare to die. <laughs> you killed my fantasy team. Prepare to die. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, that, that was awesome. the year in fantasy football, ladies and gentlemen. You know, there's there's no <clears throat> there's no more to it. It's all over, including the screaming. Yes. Your long national nightmare is now over. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so moving on from that, um, and, and you know, the Week in Geek is not meant to be an in-memoriam sort of segment here, but uh, unfortunately every time we seem to record there is someone of note uh, that, that we need to mention. And uh, as we have mentioned many, many times across many episodes uh, with this podcast, we tend to weave a little professional wrestling in here and there, and uh, sadly there was an unexpected, uh, and I say it because of, of the age of this individual, 
Uh, mm. At age 41, sadly, uh, the passing of John Huber, uh, also known as Luke Harper of the Wyatt family in WWE, and most recently, Brody Lee in AEW, passed away unexpectedly at the age of 41 a couple weeks ago. Uh, and uh, AEW, uh, I, I did not watch the episode. I watched a few clips from it, did a very, very good job uh, doing kind of a, a memorial show in honor of him. Uh, mm-hmm. Luke Harper, if uh, you had caught him in WWE, was was part of um, the Wyatt family, which I always kind of liken to. Um, and now, of course, I'm going to forget. But what, what was the movies Rob Zombie made? The the horror movies. Uh, oh, jeez. You know what I'm talking about, though. Um, yeah, I, and I I can't think of the name of it. So me neither. Uncle Todd will post in the show notes when we can do a proper I'll see Google what I search. Can do. But um, I don't know. Rob Zombie's made approximately like 500 movies because they only take like a week and a half to shoot. <laughs> and I, of course, it, it's I'm all just... like low budget horror. So it's like, oh yeah, we oh, got this. My... I wrote the script last week. We're shooting it next week, and it and debuts a month from now. Yes. So I, I might have to do a little bit of searching, but I'll see if I, what I can find. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Give me here. You, you Texas can just chainsaw bimbos from outer space. Uh, no, so he. <laughs> I think originally a, it was guess. called oh the the devil's rejects and then house of a thousand corpses. But basically, it's okay. You know, the Wyatt family kind of was was a, had that kind of vibe to it. It, it was just uh, you know, especially um, Eric uh, Eric Rowan coming down with with he he wore this kind of plastic sheet mask on his face, and then you had Luke Harper with the big bushy beard. Mm. And then you had Wyatt with the beer. This is pre-Fiend. And uh, they, they made their mark because they were really something you hadn't seen in, in, in a long time in WWE. You know, I mean, we, we talked about mm. Waylon Mercer a couple episodes back. And I wouldn't even categorize him in the same place as the Wyatt family, but kind of close. You know, like, yeah. like he, he had a kind of Cape Fear vibe to him. Um, mm-hmm. They had more of kind of that cultish sort of feel to it. And... And if you go back, I I don't remember the year exactly. It's either 20, I want to say 2013, 2014, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but look for The Shield versus The Wyatt Family. Uh, it's a February pay-per-view. And oh they, they had a six-man tag. Like, like literally, the, the, the Shield and The Wyatt Family went through this phase when they first came into the main roster where they kind of revitalized like, like the trio six-man tag kind of matches and and they had a they had an amazing one at, at at this i can't remember the name of the pay-per-view but it was a february pay-per-view i remember that so your your knowledge continues to astound sir well i'm, I'm remembering vague time you know kind of eras <laughs> that's about it but still that's pretty uh that's pretty amazing but, but one of huber's uh you know, characteristic things he would do is as Luke Harper was uh, when he was getting ready to go from one end of the ring to the other, one one tur- turnbuckle to the other and clothesline his opponent. He'd he let off a big yeah 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 yeah, and then he'd do it. It was kind of like a Mick Foley like you know hush sort of thing, you know, or he mm-hmm. just kind of you know made made a lot of racket and then and then leveled his opponent. So uh, so anyway, I just want to uh, you know again uh, raise a glass, tip the cap, and uh, in memoriam of of a. Uh, uh, very entertaining pro wrestler taken taken from the world too soon. Man, do you ever you get the feeling like some of those like when they come up to award shows and you know maybe they've already done it and I'm just missing it because I'm not obviously looking for it. But some of those like all the people we lost kind of slideshow video things. Mm-hmm. 
those feel like they're going to be about an hour and a half long just with 2020. It just felt like it was yeah. just yeah. that was the other part of this year. I mean, COVID was already bad enough, but then all of a sudden it's like just people dropping left and right and it's unreal like the names of of you know some of the the people who were who we lost last year is crazy and, yeah, and I, especially this one is really tough uh, again because the dude's 41 i mean that's that's stupid young yeah to, I, I to pass away like that tomorrow or because we're recording on tuesday so either tomorrow or thursday will mark a year since neil peart passed away uh, drummer of rush wow that so. feels like a lifetime ago now. yeah Jeez. well and it was it was during pre-covid time so I mean, a year ago at this time, I was getting ready for a trip out to Germany. So <laughs> it's like I That's can't even right. imagine traveling at this point. But you know what? It, you know how it is. So not without a hazmat suit. Exactly. Exactly. That, my friend, is the weekend geek. Well, thank you once again uh, for bringing us all collectively down with the free range ADC uh, obituary section. Hey, and well, you know. So let's move on with that and talk about. Um, Oh wait, no. We're talking. We're not talking about anything. No, well, we are kind of. It, we're talking about characters who have passed away. So we're not. We're trying to take this out of the the reality and go into you know when when characters die, but they're not dead yet. Well, they can, come back. If they come back, if I can provide a a little bit of 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 why this this topic kind of came up. Yes, please. A little background as you pour yourself another old forest. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like that's happening. I felt a responsibility. Are you uh, bracing yourself? Is that what you were? <laughs> what's that? Are you bracing yourself? I am. Okay, good. Confession time again. No. Um, oh, boy. Oh, hang on a minute. Let me sit down. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll just tell you right now. Three rosaries and two Our Fathers. Oh, good Lord. Ah, <laughs> oh, the reverend appears when you least expect him to. So, And careful, because you'll go blind that way. Yes, yes. So uh, a couple episodes ago, we were chatting about uh, the the return of Fennec and, and Boba Fett. And I did a very poor, uh, I won't even say serviceable, I, I did a poor job of kind of... And did a piss-poor job of putting it together. Explaining why I thought the return of Fett was acceptable and the return of Fennec was not... Mm-hmm. And it just kind of led us, you know, uh, we, we have many, many pre, 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 pre production <laughs> meetings during the week. And just, I just said, you know what? Just a running text stream of nonsense. That's what it is. Let's well, call it that. Fair enough. But I, I, I just wanted to, you know, I, I, I said to Todd, I think we can make a show out of this because there, there have been a lot of occasions across a number of different, you know, franchises and titles and so forth. Mm-hmm. where characters get brought back from death. And, you know, it, it, it kind of begs the question in, in, you know, art, whether it's, you know, books or whether it's movies or TV, when is it acceptable? Like, like when does it feel like it was the right move to do that versus when is it really kind of doing something that, that you know, really undermines what could have been a great story, you know? Mm. And, and, you know, not that Fennec's return was an undermining of any sort in The Mandalorian. It just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it later. But for, for me, it just kind of felt out of place. However, loved how they used her for the rest of the season, though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, as, as you heard in our prior episode, when, when the woman stored the castle, they, they took everyone down. So. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And Fennec was there just popping, popping, you know, stormtroopers off left and right. So I had no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just just that that question. So, you know, so so kind of starting out, I, I, I guess, you know, something I want to just discuss is what is it legit to, to, to take out a character and then bring them back? Like, what is that line? Hmm. Thoughts, well, sir? from the the rule that I kind of go by is that it doesn't have to make sense in our world. It just has to make sense in the world in which the story is taking place. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you start trying to make these leaps and bounds comparisons, and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, of course not. But who wants to hear a story about real life? Well, actually, I do because I watch documentaries constantly so i do and but i'm weird you know most people are watching tv or movies or reading a book for escapism you know yeah and and there are things that take place in books that do not happen in real life i mean as as the i'm pretty sure it was alfred hitchcock who said that drama is basically real life with just the boring parts edited out Mm -hmm. so even even that is like you're still taking stuff out and it doesn't have to make sense in our world it just has to make sense in the world in which it's taking place which is why you know in movies like you know for instance i I saw this the other day uh, someone talking about the john wick movies and in the john wick movies People are getting killed left, right, and center out in public, and ain't no cops showing up. Yeah. Ain't ain't yeah. nobody running and screaming. This is like dead bodies dropping everywhere, and people are walking around almost like it's one of those like a uh, like open world shooter games where all this stuff is happening, and yet nothing nothing really overly happens, and people calm down within like thirty seconds. Right. Right. But it makes sense within that movie because everything is so that universe because everything is so op- over the top, and you're kind of like okay. This ain't the real world. Yeah. So for different things, I think it, it, it's, you have to measure it differently by each story. You know, does this make sense in the overall, you know, universe that it's taking place in? So yeah. for me, it's like it, it has to be a case-by-case basis because to me there's no like, uh, yes, it's justified unless, you know, the, the person is a, a not a main character, or if they are a main character, then they can't be killed and brought back to life. Because, well, that might make perfect sense in the in that universe. So I think it's a case-by-case basis. So for me, the line is always going to shift. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's and that's just how I look at it. I know it's a very wishy-washy answer, but, yeah, that's, well, that's what I got. But, but I mean, it's, it, it's a fair statement because, and, and we're going to walk through some examples and kind of talk about them, but I, I agree with you because I... I you know, I, I don't find myself coming up with a, and, and, and that was kind of the struggle that I had on, in that episode was it, it was hard for me in, in the moment to articulate why in one case I felt it was n- not necessary, but yet in another one, it was okay. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it really comes down to the story mm-hmm. and it comes down to how is the story being serviced by this happening? You know, when, when a character is is killed in, in in a particular story it creates drama it, it creates emotion it creates mm-hmm. a direction for or a new trajectory for the narrative to go in mm-hmm. and when you go the step of bringing a character back you better make sure that when you do that you're not subverting the, the rules of, of the world that you've created in that story, that it's serving a legitimate purpose in terms of what is being told. You know what I mean? And, 
Yes. And that's where I think some of the examples will, will probably draw or tease that out a little bit when we talk about them, because I, I'm not against it. You know, I mean, it's 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 death and resurrection is is a, a story that has lasted you know generations and and mm-hmm. and it's and it's not that it's it's an invalid device to use. It's just when you take it in uh, large quantities within a certain you know domain. You know, for example, Star Wars. You know, and, and what I was kind of bringing up, it just begs the question: Are you starting to dilute the effectiveness or the impact of something like that happening simply because, well, fifty other characters have come back, so why should I care that this one is gone? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and that kind of, le- I guess, that kind of leads into the next question, which is, you know, when do you pass that, you know, the 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 tipping point? Like like, wh- when do you hit an inflection point where? Return, you know, bringing characters back has that effect then where, where it just it, it kind of dilutes instead of enhances. You know what I mean? Um, well, the, the, the easy answer for me is, it, you know, see the answer to the first question. Uh, it, it's it's all, it's a somewhat of a moving line uh, and a moving target. It's really because, based on the story is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. However, yeah. I think that you can be a little bit more generalized with this one. I think that you can actually say that you pass the tipping point when it becomes just another gimmick. And that's kind of, you know, where like you get into pro wrestling retirement matches and stuff like that right. when it becomes just a normal part of everything. Like uh, like this should be something that is semi extraordinary. Or right. it should at least have it should have a really good explanation. Yeah. You know, to why maybe the character didn't seem like they were dead or they were just seemingly dead or whatever. And and we're kind of counting those in the examples and the, and, the, and what we're going to be talking about, uh, because in a way they we they were considered dead. Right. You know, for all for all intents and purposes, they were considered dead within the story. Um, however, I think once it just becomes becomes a gimmick and it's like, a, oh, OK, well, we got to do something. Hey, let's do this and shake it up. That's when you kind of cross that tipping point. It should be like almost like in it should be in like a little glass case with a, with a little hammer on the chain next to it, like in case of emergency break right. or in case of, you know, extraordinary opportunity in the plot break. It shouldn't be something that's just like, hey, uh, you know, this is happening again. Right. Right. You know, and, you know, the the uh, the pro wrestling retirement match, you know, for, for, for those who may not follow it, you know, I think is an apropos example to refer to because when, when you have, you know, there, there have been instances of, of wrestlers who have gone through retirement matches and maybe within the same organization, whether it's WWE or some other organization, they will still wrestle again. It just kind of, you know, it's, I mean, I guess in some ways it's similar to, to the rock band farewell tour, right? It's like how many farewell tours are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know where I'm going to actually say, okay, this is really the last time you're you're going to perform. You know, yeah. And, and I mean, I really can't use the Undertaker because he literally just retired. But Shawn Michaels stands as the only one that I've seen who has honored that. One of the few. There, yeah. There may be others that that I'm I'm forgetting. So. Well, he's done the guest referee thing a few times after, like he was actually retired. Guest right? referee's fine, but I, I think that's legit in my book because you're not you're not a competitor. But but you know, again, when when you dilute the impact of the moment, mm. you know, for for him to to not well, I actually I shouldn't say that because he did come back and wrestle a couple of years ago. He in in uh, Saudi Arabia, they he and Triple H tagged. 
Well, what about uh, what about Stone Cold? Stone. Well, he's he's remained, I, and and that's kind of physically imposed, I think, because he yeah he he has he has some legitimate neck and spine issues that I think prevent him from from competing. But when 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 Michael's really stuck to it, or you know even Austin sticking to it, because there were a couple times I, I think in the early 2010s there was some talk about maybe Austin fighting CM Punk, and that never happened. Um, but there was talk about it. You know, you're you're almost conditioned to expect it to happen. You know, because oh, totally. I think I think for for a lot of wrestlers, it's hard to walk away. And when mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to make some money, and when there's an opportunity to be out there again in the limelight, they they want to go for it. And mm. and it just kind of dilutes the impact of saying like this is my last match. And in the same way, when we you know talk about stories when you start to bring back a lot of characters and, and death doesn't really hold any sort of finality, which, which, you know, I, I, I get it. It's, it, it you know, death is a hard topic. You know, it's, it, it's something mm-hmm. that, you know, is, is really kind of the end and, and is meant to be kind of a final passing, you know, in our reality. And I think that's why in, in fiction and in stories that, that having, you know, kind of a, a device where, where you bring characters back is meant to, I, th- you know, in a lot of ways I think it's meant to signify hope, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some yeah. of the examples we'll talk through, I think really do, you know, signify that not all of them, but some of them, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, for, 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 for me, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the dilution of the impact. And, and that was kind of what I was reacting to with Fennec a little bit. Um, mm. You know, not that Fennec is, you know, it's not like Fennec is an established character from from the original trilogy. And it's like, oh, gosh, why are they doing this? And mm. and this, you know, turns my whole, you know, belief system in Star Wars upside down. But it's just, more, you know, sort of like Boba Fett. What you, come on now. Um, <laughs> I got to crank that one in early. I got to crank it in. early. Always got to prod me. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> um. But we're it, all put on this earth for some purpose. Well, and apparently that's mine. I'm here to Sorry. entertain through bad theories. Uh, <laughs> yours is apparently to you know twist twist the knife in me. But the impact of it all is is really kind of what what I get concerned with when you start to see it happen more and more and more and more. You know and yeah, and and probably the you know probably the the Mandalorian is a bit of a, a corner case or or you know anomaly because it, it's it's becoming kind of a you know, for Star Wars, th- this is this is something new. You know, like we're we're used to just having standalone movies. You know, you know, usually packed into threes and, and trilogies, and and now we're seeing a story like The Mandalorian that's kind of getting some legs and is going to last a while. And so they they start to bring characters back, and so you begin to question, okay, well, when is it? When is someone really dead? You know, um, and 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 that that's kind of where where my concern or, or question kind of came from is. When is it really, you know, final for for a character? In order for it to have impact in terms of the story, right on, fair enough, and and a good question, I think. I mean, like you said, you know, death is a is a big deal in in our world, and therefore in the fictional world, it's still a big deal. Right. right. But it becomes it becomes uh, in in the tools of a storyteller, it becomes a real sort of like that's your trump card. That's the that's the one that's your ace in the hole that you've got. That if you really want to shake some things up. You you kill off a character, you know. Right. I mean, look at what happened when you you know when you kill off Han Solo in Force Awakens, uh, and or or even potentially they were talking about killing him off in Empire Strikes Back, not just freezing the dude in carbonite, right? 
right. you know, or that's what Harrison Ford wanted. Can you imagine that if like you had killed off Han Solo two out of th- two into you know two out of the three movies? Right. I mean, geez, it, it would have been completely different. But it's you know it's 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 a device that can be used, but like I think we're both in agreement, it should be used sparingly, right? Especially and, when then you don't bring someone back. And 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 not that this is one of the examples we're going to talk about, but you know you brought up Han Solo. I'll really quickly bring up from the show Lost one of the pivotal you know kind of the season three finale is is a pivotal point in that show's storytelling for a number of reasons one of them being i believe this is season three is the character of charlie played by dominic monaghan monaghan i think is how you say his name monaghan monaghan i guess um i'm I'm guessing the holo maneuver um (laughs) shut up wesley but his character Charlie throughout the back half of, of that third season is plagued with these visions of, of dying, you know, like Mm. he's, he has these, like uh, these hallucinations and he's not quite sure what it all means and stuff. And then in the, in the season finale, um, he's down in this, uh, so, so they're stranded on an Island. Uh, he and another character go under, you know, underwater in the ocean. They find this, this, uh, lab down there and it's a lab where they can communicate to, to the, to the world, you know, so they've been sequestered on this Island for like two and a half, three seasons. And they, they, they make contact and Charlie basically finds out that whoever they're making contact with is not who they think it is. And Mm. as he figures this out, there's a, a villain character who, um, basically lets a grenade off. It, it breaks one of the windows in this lab and it starts to flood. And so Charlie has to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. and, and he drowns, but he drowns basically telling his, his colleague, you know, Hey, this is not who we think it is. And, and he, 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 he dies. That was a tremendously emotional moment in that show. And if you had just brought him back, you know, in season mm-hmm. five, let's say it would have just completely, diluted the the impact of that moment because this is where he had to make a choice for the love of of you know the person he would i don't mean to say the love but but the, you know the folks on the island had become a family you know and, yeah, yeah. and so it was that familial love of i i need to do right by by the people that i care about mm-hmm. and you know had they brought him back i just think it would have completely thrown the dynamics of that story off Um, so, so that's, so I'm just using as an example to show like when, when you do have death be a kind of a final thing for a character, it it carries a lot of weight and and it really services the story in a very positive way because he ends up being, you know, this, this hero of sorts for, for the group. And, uh, and, and, and they do pay that off later on in the show. But anyways, it was just kind of a, an, an example that came to mind where I thought, you know, kind of a character death was done very well. Right on. And if you want us to, you know, if you're looking forward to more uh, dated television references, stay tuned because we'll have another one of those coming up as well. I'm And I'm not giving you a hard time it's about a good that. good show, I, man. It's a good show. I do, I do it constantly. I reference stuff and people are like, how long ago was that? I'm like, shut up. It just, just felt like yesterday. We old, man. We old. <laughs> You old man. Uh, so let's let's get let's get into a, a few of these instances and examples that we have, and and just to make this a little more fun, we're going to rate each one of these from justifiable to just downright moronic. Yes. So yeah. starting off with kind of the one that begat this entire discussion. <laughs> 
from Star Wars. Ladies and gentlemen, he was the character who was insp- who just inspired the imagination of, of millions of kids with an action figure that was just cool. Just the coolest damn thing you could have. Mm-hmm. And then just looked like a badass in Empire Strikes Back and then was jobbed out by a blinded Han Solo in like a, a molary and curly <laughs> moment on one of the little skiffs outside of Jabba the Hutt's sail barge. And that was the story of him, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking, of course, about the one and only Boba Fett, who was brought back for the Mandalorian. And good Lord, was uh, like uh, did everything but essentially like just knight him <laughs> was yeah. just given yeah. brought back up and placed on a pedestal mm-hmm. where quite honestly he probably belonged in the first place so let's go with you on this one first uh it, would you rate this being brought back from the dead as justifiable or would you slide down the scale somewhere towards moronic no i, I i'm i'm leaning very as, as you might guess from our prior episode i'm leaning very heavily on justifiable you are not leaning sir you are planted on justifiable <laughs> You are planted on justifiable with like weights on you to make sure you don't blow away. Indeed, indeed. Let's just let's just be honest here, and uh, and if I had to say, I would I would be right there with you. I believe that one is justifiable. Yes, I don't know what it is about George Lucas when he gets a good character, a good villain, like a Boba Fett or like a Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Why he feels the need. To take them out, in, because in such, he hates us. In such, they all hate you. Because George Lucas just hates us. He's a sadistic little <laughs> Muppet-sounding, furry little dude. I mean, just toying with our emotions. I can remember back, and and honestly, that that's one of the knocks that I give against Return of the Jedi. Blasphemy is is the fact that all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. It, it's it, it's a good movie. It's a good story. And it's and it's the 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 climax of of the Luke Vader story, but you know to see a character like that just get completely, I, I mean, taken out in such a ridiculous way. I mean, it wasn't even like he went down fighting like a warrior or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like Han happens to turn around, he happens to hit the switch, and off he goes, bangs his head, and into the Sarlacc pit. I mean, it's just it's the most ridiculous situation. And you summed yeah. it up best. It was like a Mo Larry Curly kind of thing. I think they even had the Wilhelm scream in there. Like, ah! Yeah, like that they, same. They I'm did. pretty sure they used that. Oh, okay, they, they did. They, they, absolutely. And, you know, with Darth Maul, it was like, I, I, I just remember watching episode one, like, why did you kill him? He was like, mm-hmm. like, a, like, I wouldn't say he's like Vader 2.0, but he was just a unique and new villain. Mm-hmm. So leverage that. Like, use that. Don't kill him off. I mean, it's like, come on. So for me to see Fett come back and in the way and, and we talked about this at length, you know, uh, two episodes ago, but the way he was brought back and the way he was showcased, you know, not just in, 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 in the tragedy, but also in the episodes that followed, you know, to see the interior of Slave One, to see, you know, him kind of pull off that that kind of hit and run in, in the rescue where he just kind of makes it look good and then hyperspace is out of there when his job is done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really served to to bolster his character and and to kind of reestablish Boba Fett as this really cool kind of rogue character in this universe. And and I think a lot of it comes from the fact that just the way he was killed off because because uh, let's be honest, for 20 years, 25 years, we all thought he was gone. You know, he we 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 thought that character had been killed off in the Sarlacc pit. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just feel like they, they did a really nice job of kind of reestablishing him. And I look forward to the book of Boba Fett as a potential way to explore how he survived and, and tell that story. See, I actually, I don't even know if I want to know, because I, that's part of the reason why I say it's justifiable and it was done right, because Boba Fett, even with some of the background that you're given on his, on his father, or <laughs> as Costco would say, his donor, um, he, of course, that didn't go too well for Costco, uh, but the, the whole, there was a, so much mystery surrounding him. As a character, yeah, you didn't really know exactly who he was, especially if you're just dealing with like OG trilogy. Right, didn't know anything about him. There was no real history, and then you get a little bit of history in the in the prequel trilogies. But the fact that he's he's brought back and it's just, well, how did he survive? And they don't tell you. Yeah. It's not like he, he there's a flashback of him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit, you know, or whatever. You're just like, no, he's Boba Fett. He's a badass. Yeah, of course he uh, of course he found a way out. You know. And I, I actually like that. I think that's part of the reason why him coming back, his character coming back works mm-hmm. because we we don't get the explanation. And I kind of hope that we don't, or if we do, I almost, I almost hope that it's like, like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, where the story changes a little each time, so that you know he's just never gonna get, he's never gonna tell you exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah. I would love that because it would just keep that mystery going. You know. Yeah. Do it. So I think we're we're both in agreement on that one. Now let's go to the one that is going to now the the road that diverges in the wood, shall we say? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she was a, a part of the uh, the beginning uh, the first season of the Mandalorian and was kind of really hyped up, and then was uh, was shot down in the same episode mm. and again, kind of taken out in almost a similar jobber like fashion by just some Hamanega. Yeah, just some ham and egg or pencil neck geek just took her out. And uh, then she was brought back in season two with the aforementioned Boba Fett. Uh, Fennec Shand, Imperial Sharpshooter. How, what say you on this one, sir? Justifiable or are we heading down the, down the scale towards moronic? And, remind, and remember, this is like a this is a sliding scale. You don't have to just have one or the other. You can have varying shades if you'd like. Sure, sure. Um, I'm, I'm probably... You know, based on our conversation in prior episodes and, and, you know, as we've talked through it here, I can be talked away from the completely moronic part of this, maybe more to the middle, maybe a little more leaning toward justifiable, um, mm-hmm. mainly because of, of how I saw her used, you know, kind of after the fact. I, I, I just, you know, when she first appeared, it just kind of felt like. Oh, you had a very visceral reaction. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, well, you're not pleased at all. No, no, I, I, I wasn't because I just felt like why why bring her back? You know what I mean? Like like mm-hmm. why expend that sort of I don't know what to call it, like for lack of a better term, why would you expend that sort of fan capital, you know, mm-hmm. on, on a character like that when you could expend it on maybe someone who means a little bit more, you know, or has a little bit more of a presence in the universe. I mean, we, we only had one episode of her and it wasn't like her character was heavily developed. She was in a mountain taking pot shots at the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we, we really didn't get a lot of backstory on this character. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, Filoni and Favreau have, have warmed me up to the character over the course of, of the final, you know, kind of three episodes of the season to see that, all right, well, bringing her back wasn't 
the worst thing in the world. It just, you know, again, it, it lends itself the que- it kind of lends itself to the question of, but what does death mean in the Star Wars universe then? You know, I mean, if, if she can be shot, left for dead, or we think she's dead, and cybernetics is what's explained, you know, as the way she comes back, and we'll get to our next example, like, you know, what what really has to happen for someone to die then? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I just feel like that was my only issue was, and and, and honest, and to, in fairness, the same can be said for Boba Fett. I mean, he goes into this character who you think is just going to eat and digest him right away. So it's like, how on earth did he survive that, you know? Well, the other thing is, though, if I remember right, the when you go into the Sarlacc, like, you, you go into its stomach, and it you you it's like agony because it takes a long time for it to digest you. Yes, that's true. That's true. So so he had time on his side. Um, right. If I now if I had to rate this one, I'm not going to be you know weighted all the way down at the you know and plant my flag in justifiable. I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge this one a little bit and say it's mostly justifiable mm-hmm. because I don't think that we actually saw her die. It's yeah. not like you know. I think in this case, this is one of those, well, you thought she was dead because we assumed it, and that's just what had happened up until that point. Like, everybody who gets shot and you see them drop, they're right. dead. Right. However, with with this character, you know, it, it wasn't really said, like, yep, ain't no pulse, and they rolled, rolled the, you know, the body over, and there's the, the eyes staring up at you or anything. So right. I'm willing to go there, and I'm also willing to go from a story point of view because as you're trying to expand this universe, you only have so many opportunities to bring in really cool characters who probably aren't going to get taken out. Right. right. You know? And I can see that happening there, but then being brought back. And maybe it, maybe it was a decision that they didn't see coming. Maybe it was one of those deals where they're starting on season two. You're like, hey, you know what would be really cool is if Boba had a running buddy. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, what about Fennec? Well, he was on Tatooine. She was on Tatooine. Right. He was out in the desert. Yep. She was out in the... Well, I mean, hey, maybe, you know. Um, so that's where I can justify that one. I mean, granted, it's... it's I, I agree. It is a little weird to expend that capital, but, man, they did... It, they managed to make it work. I'll, I will give them credit for that. They worked it. So so one 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 kind of interesting thought that popped into my head, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in The Gunslinger, which is from season one... Mm-hmm. Is she shot? Is that how she dies? I believe so. Yeah, it's a gut shot. So does that not make the stormtrooper armor even more, you know, just not purposeful in any way, shape, or form? Like if she can get shot and come back, and the stormtroopers don't? <laughs> oh God, yes. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm pretty sure the stormtrooper armor actually channels is like a conductive metal. It's that like actually the human guarantees... skin is better defense against a laser bolt than. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are correct. It, I'm pretty sure that the entire plan is with that, that Stormtrooper armor is right. it actually it enhances the laser blast and cooks them internally like you would like like wrapping tinfoil around a potato that you're going to put in the oven. Uncle Todd has it figured out. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, the, the thing is, and, and it was a gut shot, and I mean, I can see them doing that because in our world, like, that is that is not going to kill you immediately. Right. You know, right. that's that is going to take a, a a long time unfortunately untreated to to die, which would also maybe explain why she's eh, maybe not of the best disposition all the time. Yes. Uh I could I could see that. Um so next up, we uh this is a oh this is going to be a fun one. 
This is going to be a fun one. Uh, we have another Star Wars character. He he met his end, and this was a, a, a fairly definitive end in Return of the Jedi, uh, thanks to one Anakin Skywalker, uh, a.k.a. Darth Vader, throwing the dude down a freaking, like, ventilation, like, exhaust shaft down to the reactor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then... He somehow made his way back in Rise of Skywalker attached to like this gigantic apparatus arm thingy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Emperor Palpatine. Oh, God. Do it. So, Tim, where do you rate this one? Do it. So, being a year removed from watching Rise of Skywalker and coming to my senses after you know <laughs> the emotion of this being the last Star Wars movie, uh... And it pains me to say this. I, I say this with with no joy in my heart. But it this was moronic. Correct the mundo. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this this was just I. Looking back on Rise of Skywalker, I I just feel like it was, you know, sadly it, the, the the term I've seen in some articles has been you did a piss poor job of putting it together. You know that that it retconned a lot of Last Jedi because of what um, what was done in that movie and the story that was told and how it kind of disrupted, you know, the Star Wars universe. But, you know, I, I honestly feel like that story, you know, was, was going in the right direction by trying to change things up a bit. But but to go and, and to, to, you know, going into Rise of Skywalker and making it, you know, kind of going with the easy choice of having Emperor Palpatine be the big bad guy mm-hmm. really just... You know, in in retrospect, and and you know, letting it marinate a little bit, digesting it a little bit more, really just doesn't doesn't sit well with me. And and I, I really feel like, in a lot of ways, this this was a a wrong turn for the franchise. Um, Palpatine served his purpose in the original trilogy, being the puppet master behind Vader, and and you know, his, his role in in. Like that whole dialogue when Luke and Vader are fighting, and and just the way he's he's just manipulating both of them, mm-hmm. that's where he served his purpose. His appearance in in Rise of Skywalker was a clear indication that they just kind of abandon whatever Rian Johnson decided to do in Last Jedi, and it's like okay, we we can't use, um, not Dooku. What what the heck was his name? Um, Kylo Ren. Not Kylo Ren, who who he killed. Uh, Snoke. Snoke. Can't use Snoke because he's dead. And turning Kylo Ren into like a redemption story, just it just didn't fit where they were going, you know. And and, and that kind of goes back to what you, me, and, and and Jimmy Dice were talking about back, you know, a year ago almost, uh, when we talked about Rise of Skywalker, which is there, there just wasn't consistency across the three movies, and it really became apparent in this one when he was brought back, when Palpatine came back. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he was a crutch they leaned on to be the big bad that had to be vanquished, you know, by Ray and by Ren. And it, it just, to, to me, it really cheapened, you know, everything that preceded it. You know, you know what, what Luke did by, you know, converting his father and having his father throw the Emperor, you know, to his death really... You know, I, I'm not going to say it lessened the impact. I watch Return of the Jedi and doesn't mean anything anymore, but it just feels like it, it just... All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. Kind of cheapens it in a way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, it totally makes sense. Um, I am actually going to... I'm going to split this one, okay? So I... I because I, I want to be very clear on, on where where I'm going with this. 
in terms of like from a mechanics sort of point of view, I mean, quite honestly, your entire universe is based on space magic and laser swords and the fact that the Millennium Falcon and and really no spaceship in the entire universe that this takes place in has seatbelts and yet nobody's flopping around <laughs> even though there's like these ships are flinging themselves around all of those things are happening you know what people can come back from the dead any damn time they want i you know i mean it's just <laughs> you know it's just the way it is like if if you're going to if you're going to expect me to believe all these things then fine yeah okay then you can bring these people back so you know if you're if you're using that as your basis Anything's possible. Right. Anything is possible at that point. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I'm going to say it's kind of justified just because on that basis, like space magic, laser swords, no seatbelts and midichlorians and and whatever. Fine. And, Mm -hmm. And the fact that droids somehow have like this consciousness that's not really AI and it's what are they? All of that considered, it's kind of justifiable. Now, from like a, does this make sense in the story? I am going to say it, go, it, this actually goes past moronic, like Spaceball 1 <laughs> shooting past the Eagle 1 or whatever the Winnebago in the sky was and goes to plaid. Like it is just plug stupid yeah. to bring back Palpatine in the context of the story. It yep. was horrific. It was stupid. It was because, oh, my gosh, we don't know what to do. So we're going to, you know, like in the Hunt for Red October when they're like, oh, I think when the, you know, when the SAP software it gets confused, it runs home to mama. You know, that's sort of that moment right, where they're like, right. we got to go back to Palpatine. You know, you know, I, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It was horrible. It was a horrible choice and it was stupid and it was dumb and and a thousand things that I've said before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I have to separate those two because we do have to acknowledge that there is a certain inherent ridiculousness about the Star Wars universe. Well, you can't and, just pretend it's all like this is serious science fiction because no, right. it ain't. I'm sorry. Right, and, and and my issue isn't on that point. You know, like like what you said. Yeah, it's 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 sci-fi, and and when, when you're when you're in the sci-fi realm, all bets are off. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't even say it's sci-fi. Like we're talking like science. Like we're talking like space fantasy. I think it would be a much better sure, way to describe Star sure. Wars. But 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 the point is, you, you know, you were talking about the mechanics of it based on the established rules within the universe, and you know, yeah. his character is one of the most powerful dark side force users there is. So is it mm-hmm. possible he could pull this off? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and especially with cloning and all totally that. Totally agree. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Especially yeah. with the Clone Wars and and what they have with cloning technology established in the universe. One hundred percent. Don't have any argument there. From a story perspective, is is and 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 you touched on this, and and that's I think where we agree. From a story perspective, is where I was coming from. Yeah. Because it's wretched. I it's just a wretched like decision. It, yeah. In retrospect, it, it was the wrong move. And after seeing season two of The Mandalorian, which had nothing to do with Palpatine, mm-hmm. it even further confirmed that for me because yeah. it, it just was wrong to go that route. Agreed. So next up, it, this is a total rumor. So, <laughs> Well, I brought we this might... one up because this was potentially going to impact the, the Mandalorian finale, and thank goodness it did not. Yeah, well, again, because your theories are always dead on. Uh, I'm okay so, being wrong on this one. 
This uh, this is a character who was uh, who was jobbed out by Palpatine back in the prequel trilogy. In glorious fashion. Glorious. Glorious. The the dude whose lightsaber says "Bad Mother, shut your mouth" uh, on it. Uh, the the only purple lightsaber in existence. Uh, Mr. Sam Jackson uh, playing Jedi Master Mace Windu, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, where would you like? I mean, if well, the thing is, there there is talk of maybe a, a Mace Windu show or or him making an appearance in something somewhere. Because I mean, if you did like what was it the the New Republic or or Old Republic or whatever, maybe he fits into there somewhere. So there is still a possibility this character co- could come back, but not like come back to life like it would just be that character right. in a different timeline sort of a part of the timeline right. but if, if if mace windu had come back where would you where would you have rated it uh w- w- without thinking about it moronic at i mean just just full stop moronic correct the yeah. mundo similar to palpatine i feel like windu's character served a purpose in the prequels showing and demonstrating the sheer power of the emperor Having someone like him who was a Jedi master who, in, in you know, really in a lot of ways I felt was a great embodiment of the arrogance of the Jedi. Where, because really that, that, that in a lot of ways was the downfall of the Jedi, was, was the arrogance they developed mm. over time. And I thought he, and I, you know, I don't know if, if Samuel L. Jackson was purposeful in portraying it that way. But I really felt like throughout the prequels, he really embodied that well, not in a villainous way and not in a in a malicious way. It was just the Jedi had grown and, and Filoni, you know, going back to the uh, the galleries episode where Filoni kind of talks about the the arc that Lucas drew from episode one all the way to six, where the Jedi had grown, you know, complacent. Mm. And, and I think Windu was a great representation of that. And for him to to die the way he did, underestimating the Emperor, mm. was right on point. And to bring him back, I'm actually, I would be more upset with that than I would with Fennec. Because it's like, like if he comes back, it's like, at what point does anything matter then? You know what I mean? I would actually be I would be more upset with 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 Mace Windu coming back than the Emperor. That's where I would put it. Yeah, because oh, 100%. At least the Emperor, like you said, like this is one of the most powerful, right. you know, Sith lords, right. you know, dark Jedi, dark force users ever. Who's Mace Windu? He was just another Jedi master. Like we didn't have any reason to think that he was on on an equal level with, right. with where Palpatine ended up. And to you have know? the Emperor dispatch him because he underestimated the power was the right move for the story. Mm-hmm. Don't bring him back because he miraculously through the force somehow. Now, to your point, could he have could he have survived it? Sure, 100%. I mean, let, let let's be honest. All bets are off when when you're in that universe, right? I mean, anything can really happen because the force could be manipulated to do whatever, you know, like like that we're not aware of. Well, yeah, I mean, we have the entire uh I mean, Padme passes away of a broken heart. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how they. So, I mean, yeah, it, whatever, whatever you're gonna do, you're gonna do. But yeah. it just, it doesn't mean that you can't say it's stupid. Absolutely. So, so th- this one for me, if if they were to try to do, you know, a Mace Windu kind of series or bring him into the Mandalorian universe for some reason, because because honestly, there there was some speculation that when Grogu had connected uh, on on 
on uh, Typhon with um, with some you know whatever Jedi were out there, then it might have been him. Mm. And when the X wing came in during the rescue, I'm like, you know, much like everyone else, I didn't really believe it was going to be Luke because it just seemed like there's no way they were going to do that. Mm. But I was very grateful when I saw the green of of, of the lightsaber being employed. <laughs> Let me just say that I, I'm glad yeah. it was green and not purple. So, <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. I would have, yeah, yes. Oh man. Which uh, brings us next to uh, Force ghosts in general in the Star Wars universe, uh, and here's where I think that I, I think this one. I think I, I we haven't discussed this, but I have a feeling we're going to feel pretty similar yeah. on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's a return from the dead. I think it's just a legit part of the 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 Jedi lore and and we know that it's only that these force ghosts only stick around for so long because Ben Kenobi is is done appearing to Luke uh, at a certain point and so it's like it's not like they're back forever and they can you know 50 years later like hey by the way Luke hey let me tell you about this guy you know it's not that sort of thing yeah there's a there is a shelf life on it, so I I don't really think I don't feel it counts necessarily. I don't even think it's even a rating. It's just it doesn't. It's not really the same thing. Hundred percent, and and you know I, I I would lean very heavily on justifiable, mainly because of of the mechanics of of what this presence kind of means. You know that that in in Episode Four, you know re, you know the first Star Wars movie, Ben Kenobi is nothing more at, at this point than a voice in Luke's head and, and, and really kind of a, a point of guidance. Mm -hmm. And and that feels totally appropriate to me. You know what I mean? Like, like that is okay because for, for him to, and and even in empire and return of the Jedi, he doesn't impact the physical world that Luke has to operate within. He's simply there as an advisor, as a point of information and as really guidance. Yeah, and it's not like he's some sort of omniscient sort of thing. Like, hey, absolutely. I just I just overheard Vader and and and, oh, and yeah. the Emperor talking. Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me give you the lowdown. It's like he's only sharing like his own background information and what he knows. Like, there's limits to what what he is, you know, in that other realm as a Force ghost that he has access to. Right. If if anything, the Force ghosts really represent, and this is just my 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 perspective on this, but. I really feel like, you know, where, where the Sith are very, very much about power in the here and now, the Jedi and, and this sort of ability to persist past their death in this kind of ghostly form mm-hmm. is really kind of their superpower where, you know, where, where the Sith, you know, and again, I go back to, you know, Mace Windu and what the Emperor does to him. What the emperor does to Mace Windu is in the here and now. It is an it is an immediate, impactful moment that the emperor exercises his power on. It is very clear from what we can see in the movies that the Sith have no power really in the afterlife. Mm. And it's interesting that for the Jedi to find this ability to present themselves past you know post death to those that they need to, to you know, and in that sort of advisory or guidance kind of role is in a way kind of an offsetting aspect to, to, to who they are. Like, even though you, like, even though this, the, the, you know, like in episode four, when Vader strikes down Ben Kenobi, he says, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 
Mm. It's not because he can exact that power in any sort of meaningful way in the present. It's because he can now, in a way that Vader never could, impact events with Luke in different places at different times. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like I think. Oh, that, totally. I get you. That's that's a great storytelling device, and mm. and something that I I felt, you know, I say it's unique for me because that's what I observed as a kid. You know, watching the movies. Maybe there are stories that kind of leverage that kind of thing, but but I I just felt it was kind of unique to to that universe. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and actually, let's go out of order now, because uh, let's let's go down to our or the last one we have on the list here, because I feel like we need a bit of a break from, from sci-fi. <laughs> from sci-fi. <laughs> let's 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 go into the fantasy realm. Sure. Uh, and uh, you're going to have to help me out on this one, because I I will admit I'm a geek, but I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a rings geek. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Gandalf the Grey, uh, who dies and then returns as Gandalf the White. Yes. Which, you know, terribly imaginative, that Tolkien guy. Just change the color and maybe no one will notice. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's actually a really good reason for all of that, but I'm just like, ah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, what do you, now you can, I, I remember I've watched the Lord of the Rings movies. I have not read the books. I know. Go ahead and send hate mail to Tim at freerangeabc.com. <laughs> Do it, and uh, just throw it my way, baby. And I've and honestly, I've only seen those movies once. Yeah, yeah. back when they first came out on DVD, it's just not my jammy jam. So go ahead and hate away. So you give me some background on this one. Yeah. So so Gandalf's transformation is is really uh, in in Fellowship of the Ring. What what leads to all of this is you know they're trying to escape. They they, they have to cut through a cave uh, to complete kind of the journey they're on. And there's this character called the Balrog that begins to pursue them. And, and, and Gandalf, that, that's kind of that iconic moment in those movies, you know, often memed, often quoted when uh, Gandalf takes his, his staff and says, you know, you shall not pass and then jams the, the staff down on the ground and, you know, kind of evaporates the bridge that the Balrog is standing on. Yeah. And of course there's that moment where the Balrog falls into the, in, into the, the, you know, this, this crevice and he turns around, you know, Gandalf turns around and then all of a sudden you see the whip of the Balrog wrap around his leg and drag him Mm. as he's falling. And then Gandalf's holding on for dear life and he just looks at, you know, Frodo and Frodo's, you know, just paralyzed and he's just like, you know, fly you fools. And then he falls. (laughs) That's, and that's, and, and that's kind of this emotional moment where, Really, the the wisdom and kind of the guidance of, of the fellowship has been has been taken out of the game, so to speak. Time to play the game. Mm-hmm. And then in in the two towers, we see Gandalf come back in a much different way, called Gandalf the White. And you know, I'm I, I'm not going to pretend to be a an expert at Lord of the Rings lore, but uh, really, what what my understanding of it is is because of um, who Gandalf is, um, which in, in the world of Lord of the Rings, he's considered what's called a uh, Maiari, M-A-I-A-R, which is an immortal okay. spirit. Uh, but being in physical body on Middle Earth, he can be killed in battle, but he can mm-hmm. also be restored. Um, there's kind of like this physical location for the afterlife. I, I forget the name of it. And what I've read is he, he does die at the hands of the Balrog, but because of the, you know, the way of his death being a sacrifice, 
And because mm-hmm. of his nature and, you know, going to this place, he is sent back to Middle Earth to finish his mission. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this will actually play into another example we'll talk about in a moment. But the idea being that he's and, and Tolkien is almost has has also described Gandalf as kind of an angel incarnate, hmm. you know, so so he's kind of this character where he is present. But when he is removed from kind of the journey, he's restored in part because of of, you know, the way he died, you know, sacrificially, but also because of the nature of of what he is. So, you know, it gets a little bit into the 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 lore of Lord of the Rings a bit, but but the, you know, this is one of these cases where where I call it justifiable because in in terms of the impact on the story, it's emotional seeing him go, it's emotional seeing him return. Mm. And, you know, there there's that iconic moment in the two towers where he yells out, you know, to to the king and mm. they charge you know, basically this massive orc army and, and wipe them out. Uh, and, and he's really the one leading that charge. Uh, and so it's just, you know, in, in terms of its service to the story, he's really the only character that comes back. And and as soon as their work is done, as soon as Sauron is vanquished and they have removed, you know, his, his kind of evil essence and, and his army from Middle-earth, he has to return to that afterlife, um, mm. he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't persist after that. He's like, you know, my, my, my job is finished. I need to return. So mm. Gandalf the White coming back is really to serve a very specific purpose to the, to the story of Lord of the Rings and, and done in a way that I don't think cheapens the stakes at all because he's, he's really the only one that, that undergoes that transformation. Yeah. I, and, and again, just from what I remember and from the background information that you have been so good as to provide me. I mean, hey, when someone's in a mortal spirit, well, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of right there in the name. They ain't going to be dead. Uh, so I would say I would I would I would say mostly justifiable, um, if not completely justifiable, because, again, and like you said, he's the only one that does it. And the stakes are, are are still kind of in place because, like you say, he he does have to return. It's not like he's like, all right, hey, I'm just going to go pimp off to the next adventure. It's like, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm i gone. Like, I, I was able to come back and I was able to do it for this purpose. And now I'm 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 off again to the great to the sweet by and by. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's a that's a. It's a great way that, that, that Tolkien could kind of have his cake and eat it too, because as we've said before, what's the purpose of cake if you don't get to eat it? Right, right. And and there's there's plenty of cases in those stories of characters being killed off. You know, there, there's mm. not, I mean, not, not any of, of, of the major ones, but, but there are characters that get introduced and later on are killed off in battle that have some resonance, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that you strike that balance between bringing back a character and then, you know, kind of letting everything else play out the way that, you know, humanity and reality would typically be, I think just kind of maintains the, the impactfulness of it. Yeah, totally agree. I agree. All right. Well, let's head back to sci-fi cause you know, that's what we're <laughs> the bread and butter, baby. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what pays the bills. <clears throat> Not really. I mean, we, we ain't paying no bills for this. Maybe a, maybe an overdue library book, but that's only because we found like a dollar on the street today. Anyways, uh, so let's go back. And, and here is your, your dated television reference. She was a, a mainstay of this series and mm-hmm. was, was killed in, I believe, season three and was then brought back in season four. 
before her her final disappearance in the final episode, uh, we have Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica. What say you, sir? So interestingly enough, this is the example I was referring to when I was just talking about Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Because what's interesting with BSG is they go to a very spiritual place in season four. Mm-hmm. More so than I think they did in any other season of that of that show. Mm. And it, it it's a hard one. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say a hundred percent justifiable, probably seventy-five percent justifiable. Hmm. Um, but in terms of the sur- because honestly, I think I think the spiritual part of the show in season four is what you know drives a lot of some of the angst of the fan base, you know what I mean? Like how it ended and, and kind of where it mm. ended up. Yeah. Because let's be honest without Starbuck coming back, they don't make it to earth. You know, like, True. like she, she is the reason they achieve the end goal of, of what Adama promised in the pilot. There must be some kind of way out of here. There must be some kind of way out of here. Said the Joker to the thief. John! Just punch in the cord at Starbucks. <laughs> but what I like, you know, what, what what I like about how they handled it though is, and and we talked about this in in our you know review of of you know the the finale, you know, especially Daybreak Part Three. There is something different about Starbuck when she comes back, and there's especially mm-hmm. something different in the season finale in the series finale with her. Yeah, there's that moment where Lee you know, kind of leans into her a bit like romantically and she kind of mm. pulls back. Mm-hmm. Changes the subject immediately, yes. which is Starbuck was, I mean, even if she wasn't going to be like, yeah, okay, let's go there. Even if she wasn't going to do that, she was going to mess with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She'd string you along for her own amusement. And there it was just a very sort of like, it was very much change the subject very quickly and, and move on to something else. Much like, you know, what I discussed with Gandalf, clearly having a sense of purpose, clearly having a sense of, you know, what I am here for has been completed. Yes. And and, and it's now my time to go. However, if I can step back just prior to that, and, and, and really it's 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 kind of like 90% justifiable for, for, for me. Because I don't think the finale could have resonated emotionally the same way if we didn't have that moment with Adama and her one more time. What do you hear, Starbuck? Mm. <laughs> oh, jeez. You're going to make me cry during this thing. Not, not, not to, to rehash what we talked about in the finale, but I, I got to be honest, that that is one of, like like, that is such a seminal moment in that show because that is literally from the pilot. Yeah. And one of the one of the first lines, mm-hmm. and the show at least does some service to her return, because for much and, and really a lot of the drama and a lot of the conflict that stirs up in season four is why is everyone supporting and and getting or, or or why is Adama getting behind Starbuck when every other example of someone they know coming back has meant Cylon. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, at least when she came back, they dealt with the 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 conflicting feelings. You know, so again, this, the, the story was serviced by the return. It wasn't diminished. 
And True. and I think they did a really good job of of articulating the the conflict that a lot of characters were feeling. Like Felix Gaeta would not have ended up the way he did had he bought into the whole thing. But he mm-hmm. truly felt she was a Cylon and he truly felt like Adama was off his nut and he felt the need to do a complete insurrection to to combat it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really feel like her 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 death meant something, but her return was dealt with in the appropriate way and, and it really impacted, you know, characters that we never really would have thought would have turned or done the things that they had done. Yes. Agreed. Um, and I, I think you know where I'm heading with this one. Uh, you're like 75 to 90%. I'm like 100%. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all in on this. And it's not just because I, I am in on you know anything that Katie Sackhoff does. That's actually a very, very small part of this. Although the fact that we got to see some more Starbuck, I'm okay with that. Uh, the, way that I, the way that I look at this is... The funny thing is with this is it's kind of odd for me to say this because it is it was meant to be such a grounded and realistic show. Yes, that was the entire idea. It was like this realistic sci-fi shot documentary style, and you know the fact that you know phones had cord cords. There wasn't you know uh, uh, communicators. There wasn't you know oh use this you know sense use the sensors to sweep the entire planet and all you know none of that stuff. Like it was. How would this actually play out in in a real world situation? Why would I think that like this person coming back from the dead would be justifiable? Because there is this undercurrent. It, it was always dancing with the mystical, with the religious, with with that supernatural element. And it was it yeah. was always a kind of a dance where it would disappear and would come back and it would disappear and come back and there'd be just enough unexplainable stuff that it was always there. And then they leaned really heavily into it in in that fourth season. Yeah, yeah. But it's not like it just came out of nowhere. Right. Like that had been there forever. You know, up. I mean, starting like season one and 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 just all of the stuff that goes on and and with Rosalind, you know, I am the dying leader and all all of these things. It it all kind of it was there the whole time. So it brought out this it, this thing that had been an undercurrent of the show the whole time. Yeah, and that's why I I buy it. But then also the fact that you have Head Six and Head Baltar both being introduced at this point, mm-hmm. and not just in a sense of Oh, this person could be crazy, and they're seeing, they're seeing things. Like Head Six actually physically interacted with Baltar in ways that other characters saw. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe not to the point of like making it cheesy, like you know she's playing with his tie, and someone looks over and his tie's there twiddling in midair or something like that. But I mean, she was actually affecting him physically in the real world. Mm-hmm. So there was a little something else there, not to mention just the the character that she uh, that that Trisha Helfer also played that was the the assistant to the scientist who was going to have the evidence against Baltar, and then she just disappears, which we then find out in the plan like it, it wasn't as the this mysterious disapp- disappearance that we thought it might be. Right. There was actual an explanation for that, but that was part of the you know you like there is these mysteries that just come up, and it's like well, what the hell happened? And like you said, it was dealt with in a very good way it wasn't just like all right starbuck is back yay everyone's like wait a minute this is weird and and people aren't trusting her and 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 people are are suspicious of her and Mm -hmm. and there was this this tension of even up until like daybreak of can we trust her yeah you know is she is she just loony 
Like, yeah, she's obviously back because she's physically there, but is she insane? Well, and uh, and, and not yeah. only is it the character is struggling with it, but I, I failed to mention she struggles with it. Like mm-hmm. like that that moment, I forget the episode name. I don't know if it was Revelations or the the episode following it, but she she looks desperately at Leoben saying, "What am oh, I? Yeah, yeah. Who am I? Yep. You know, because she finds herself. Mm-hmm. She finds her her burnt physical corpse on what they thought was going to be Earth, mm-hmm. and she's just like, I don't. You know, she doesn't even know who she is. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why it is palatable that way. And, you know, really, you know, the way you're describing it, and tell me if, if I'm off my nut with this, but when you go across the four seasons of BSG, as we've talked about, there, there's a bit of stripping away of, of the concrete, you know, into the abstract when you get to season four. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's less about what they know and what they can do and more about what do they believe in. Yeah. Well, in a, in a way, it, it's a parallel to, well, not a parallel. I could draw some comparisons between the four episode, the four seasons of Battlestar Galactica and the journey up the river in Apocalypse Now. Because in oh, a way, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're going in, and, and in the same way, the, the journey that Francis Coppola took making that movie uh, that you see in Hearts of Darkness, mm-hmm. the, the making of movie that uh, that uh, that um, his wife, I'm forgetting her first name, uh, her last name's Coppola, and she she filmed this movie of the making of that, and it was really at one point she talks about like he's going into the center of himself, you know, you have to you have to like die a little bit in order to know who this person is that you're going to find, and that was you know that idea of like they're going to Earth, it's almost sort of like finding Kurtz at the end of that river like they're not right. sure what they're going to find and and there is a stripping away of who they are and who they were and 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 just discovery of like who each person is you know on that journey no i i i, I yeah no and then i think the way that they that they played the ending where it wasn't again it was it was a very gandalf sort of thing like it there's a price. Yeah. There is a price yeah. to coming back. And th- that price is like, you don't get your happily ever after, at least not here. Right. Right. You know, she doesn't get to go off and be like, oh, by the way, I, I'm going to go off and I'm going to go to this island. And, you know, eventually it'll be called Themyscira. That's where all the female warriors come from for Wonder Woman and stuff. Actually, if that was the case, it would have been probably Caprica that goes and <laughs> goes and founds that because the Amazons are all really tall. And I don't think Katie Sackhoff quite makes the cut in terms of height, which is fine because I'm in the same boat myself. Uh and the fact that I'm not an Amazon either. So uh, where the hell am I going with this? But the idea that she can't, she's just not going to stay around on Earth. She just disappears. And that's and that's it. Like this idea of like my my time is over, my mission is over, and that's it. Right. And that's I think that adds more. Again, it adds. It doesn't do away with the stakes completely. There still are stakes. Um, it's just different stakes. Agreed. So say we all. So say we all. And so that brings us to our, our last two examples, which are kind of a uh, kind of twinsies, uh, because of the fact that well they just did it and reversed it. Uh, so uh, the first character, he uh, he uh, passed away and met his end by uh, self-sacrificing himself mm-hmm. for his crew, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, in in uh, in Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, which uh, it, it was one of the greatest Star Trek movies ever. Just fantastic. I forget the exact quote, but it's something like "From Death's Door I." 
spit at thee. <laughs> oh, Ricardo Maltabon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Man. Oh, th- th- I'm sorry. That is con. Yes. I'm sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch. That is con. <laughs> Yeah, although Benedict did all right. But uh, but then he was brought back to life the following movie by the Genesis device mm-hmm. in Star Trek III. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we go into the J.J. Abrams Star Trek II, and guess what happens? Kirk dies mm. by sacrificing himself in the exact same way to save his crew. And uh, But they didn't decide to wait around to the third movie and, and cliffhang this thing. They are just like, nah, let's just bring him back by magical uh, con blood juice stuff. So uh, and, and he came back by the end of the movie. And so uh, how, of course, we're talking about Spock and Kirk here, Leonard Nimoy and Christopher, uh, Chris Pine, uh, respectively. Now... Where would you rate these? So, for for the Spock death, I would and and his his return, I would put it at ninety five to you know I'll, I'll go one hundred percent justifiable. Wow! Now he, here's the reason why because mm-hmm. and 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 this is where I feel like you know consistency and like what we talked about you know with 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 Rise of Skywalker and why it didn't really hit the mark comes into play because clearly when they did Star Trek two and three, they, they had a plan in mind. And in Star Trek two, that movie was really about the humanity and the fragility of life with Kirk. Mm. Kirk was arrogant. Kirk was, Oh, I can get out of anything. You know, the, the Kobayashi Maru, I wired the test to be solvable. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. that's that's how he solves it. Yeah. And then he was faced with his with a real life version of it. And well, you think he was faced with it before when they're stuck on the planet. Yes. And as it turns out, he's he, you know, wily old Kirk. He managed to outwit Khan again. Yes. You know. Yeah. And then what 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 is just genius with what they did with Spock was clearly Kirk was not prepared to deal with the fact that the Khan had him checkmated mm. and Spock knew what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. He, he knew what had to happen and there was only one way out of it for everyone. And that was for him to, to put himself on the line. And so like Star Trek two is just like, like that movie is so good because that story that, that, that bond with Kirk and Spock and, and Kirk having to deal like, like he can't cheat his way out of it. Yeah, he's not the one dying. His friend is dying. Well, in a way, it 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 he does cheat. He does fair, cheat. Fair enough. Like yes. he manages yes. to get away, and I think that's the hardest thing for him is the fact that you know, up until then, the price was there was never really a price. Right. Like he 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 actually outright cheated. Yep. The Kobayashi Maru, which I mean, yep. you you cheat in school, <laughs> or I'm guessing in a military academy, they're not going to go. You know what? That's great. Pat you on the fanny and send you on your way. Right. That's like right. it, you know. Go ahead and pack your stuff. Right. But and he didn't. Not only did he get like. Not only did he like. Nothing happened. He got a com- commendation for it. Right. Right. You know, and then and then he manages to outwit Khan, and then any number of times in the in the in the you know original TV series when he managed to get out of jams, but now all of a sudden it catches up with him, and he isn't even the one paying the price. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's his friend who pays the price, and you see. Probably for the first time, Kirk, you know, cracking, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. because he he's lost his best friend. 
Yeah. And, you know, Star Trek three to set this up because there's this whole Genesis project where they're, they're essentially, you know, there, there are Federation scientists who are trying to literally create planets from, from, from nothing. Yeah, it's it, it, like instant, like shake and bake terraforming. Exactly. And while their stuff works to a point, we find out in three that it's very unstable. However, it provides a storytelling device because what ends up happening is they, they take Kirk's, or sorry, they take Spock's body, launch it in a torpedo tube into the planet that is now forming. Mm-hmm. And Spock essentially regenerates because the planet is essentially growing itself. Yeah. It's, it's still cooking. Accelerated <laughs> life. Let's, let's call it. And it yeah. takes the, the dead Spock and, and essentially Spock is growing, you know, very rapidly from child, from baby to child to adult. Yeah. Which actually in, in the, in Star Trek two, the, one of the greatest little moments that DeForest Kelly ever had as, as bones was, you know, you know, back in the day, you know, in creation, it took God six days to create the earth. Well, hang on. Now we've got Genesis. We'll do it in six minutes. I was like, oh, my gosh. He, he's just like so living in McCoy at that moment. Yes. Like, oh, yes, that, it was great. I love that moment. Yes. It was fantastic. And in three, he comes back and, and they use an interesting device where he, you know, before Spock makes his sacrifice in Star Trek two, he puts his, you know, he does kind of a Vulcan maneuver on. Mm. On McCoy, of all people, <laughs> he backs up his hard drive. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and essentially backs himself up within within McCoy's consciousness. So in three, McCoy's like going mad because he's essentially got not only his own consciousness but Spock's in his brain. Yeah, it's it's like the odd couple, except it's inside your head. Yes, yes, and really three, which is the search for Spock, is really about the restoration of Spock. And yeah. I feel like it is, you know, I say 90 to 100% because I feel like his death served a purpose. I don't feel like his return cheapened that purpose because at least within the confines of the story, he didn't come back out of some sort of kind of crazy way. You know, there there, there was kind of a, mm-hmm. within that universe and within that, yeah. that storytelling device of Genesis, you could kind of see it happen. And with Vulcans being kind of a, a a mentally kind of advanced race, you could buy into the fact that he could transition his consciousness that way. Yeah, Um, totally. Is it a little hokey? Is it a little kind of on, on, on the level of Emperor, Emperor Palpatine? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I feel it serves the story better in this case than it did in, in rise of Skywalker. Oh, I mean, good lord, yes. By leaps and bounds. Oh, you know what I mean? No, I, I, I don't even know leaps and bounds. Like, I mean, we're talking miles. <laughs> we're talking miles, I think. However, I'm at kind of a disadvantage because I I have not seen the J.J. Abrams Star Trek two. Ah, that's okay. And so, so you're you in the need same to kind of help educate me. So I, it's really hard for me to, to rate it because I haven't seen it. Okay. So but help me, let uh, me. But based on the symmetry of it, I'm bought in because it it is kind of a neat effect to say, okay, in this timeline, Spock dies. But in this timeline, Kirk has to do virtually the same thing. Yeah. I kind of like the symmetry. 
Well, okay. So here's the thing. So I'll let me just backtrack for a moment and give my thoughts on on Spock. Oh, yeah. I, Sorry. I, I agree, and I'm 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 just about the same as you because, to me, you know, where Star Wars is is space fantasy. Star Trek has always been science fiction because it's always been very much you know uh, exploration kind of oriented and stuff like that. So the fact that they are able to, even though it is, I mean, oh yeah, we we fire this device at the planet, and all of a sudden it, it grows everything. All right, I mean, fine, yeah, but it's science based. I mean, it's it's you know, kind of, kind of real, like woo, sort of science, but yeah, it's science. So I'll go with that, and I, and I like the idea of of this idea of the combination of of Spock backing up his hard drive, McCoy, as a as kind of a you know being kind of smarter than the average bear, and maybe understanding where this is all going to go, sort of thing. I mean, maybe that's it's kind of a thin plot plot device because how does he know that they're going to regrow his body or or whatever? Because I'm sure he must also know like this will probably drive McCoy nuts. But I'll 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 go with it on those terms. So for uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek II, basically the entire thing is framed by the fact that at the very beginning of the movie, you see Khan uh, use his blood to heal this little kid, and in and he makes this bargain with the with his with his father who works for um, Starfleet, kind of this deep science weapons development section of. Of Starfleet to you know I'll save your kid but you know what you're gonna plant a bomb in 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 this facility and you're gonna blow it up and you're gonna die too so that's the price that you have to pay I will I will heal your kid from this terminal illness that she is gonna die from but you're gonna die and and you're gonna blow this thing up so his his magic blood you know is what heals and they don't really I mean I'm I can't I honestly I can't remember if they a- actually explain what it is about the blood that does that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm guessing it's just that idea of like oh well there's you know he's an advanced genetically engineered being and all of this and so therefore his blood would you know rapid healing and all this and uh, whatever which so which, the idea- which is interesting because it somewhat mirrors Khan in Star Trek 2 Right, because everyone with him, you know, he he kind of like there's that one young guy who dies toward the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and and it, you know, n- not that he sends him on a suicide mission or anything like that, but it's just kind of like you know, you you've died for a greater cause, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and that and that it's all about his intellect, and that that yes. was the original, yes. you know, and even even though Khan is a superior physical being, it was never like oh, you know, it's not like Forrest Gump, like you got magic blood. It wasn't that. It was you know. That at least I don't remember that being explicitly stated in the original series or in Wrath of Khan, but in this one, you know, he he got magic blood, and so you know, Benedict Cumberbatch's magic blood is what's gonna you know bring someone back from the dead. They find this out with a Tribble that is dead, and then they, because McCoy's just like screwing around in his lab, he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm just gonna inject this into this Tribble and see what happens. Because why not? I mean, I guess that's the sort of thing when you're on Starship. Eh, whatever. So, uh, anyways, so uh, Kirk has to, in order to save the crew, he has to go and align the warp core, which is pretty much almost exactly what Spock had to do in Wrath of Khan. And so instead of Spock doing it this time, Kirk goes and does it. Now, the thing, I, I was ready to trash this because honestly, then it becomes this matter of like, they realize like, oh my gosh, Khan's blood can save Kirk. And then Spock has to like, 
beam down to earth and and chase Khan all over like San Francisco and and all this and it's kind of a cool thing mm-hmm. and all that uh, you know and you get to see the side of Spock where he's you know you know angry Spock you know like like Spock Hulk like <laughs> Spock smash. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's kind of cool because then you see like that idea of like the Vulcan, you know, the passion of a Vulcan can come out like when in the original series where like, you know, when Spock, it's when it's like it's mating season and, you know, Vulcans go a little crazy. Uh, It's that same sort of thing, except I don't think it's mating season. Maybe it coincided. I don't know. I'm really off topic right now. But anyway, he goes. Where are you going? (laughs) And he's originally he's going to kill Khan, but then they're like, "No, you need his blood to save Kirk." And so then they get him the they get him the magic Khan blood, and and Kirk lives and all that. And you know, the end. Everybody goes home happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was ready to like say just totally unjustifiable and moronic because on on both counts, like I can't even separate it like I do with Palpatine because it doesn't make sense in the in the universe. Mm-hmm. Just magic blood doesn't work the same to me as like a device that has been scientifically developed for terraforming and all of this, because at least that I'm like, eh, okay, maybe I can kind of roll with this. Magic blood to me is just sort of like weird when you when you're in that universe yeah, and not have a yeah. great scientific basis for it. However, I I'll spot it a few points, mostly because of what you said. Um, and and kind of that little that little detour that we took with the fact that Kirk manages to cheat his way. And he cheats death again, but his friend pays the price. Yeah. yeah. The fact is, though, in this one, they actually make Kirk pay the price. Right. Right. He, he has to face it, his mortality. Yeah. Well, he has to face the fact that he's gotten them all into this. Right. It's his hubris. It's his 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 method of thinking. I'll just I'll just get my way through it. But he's the one that has to pay the price. Right. Right. So I'll give it a few points for that because I kind of like that. That idea. I don't know if that's what they were necessarily thinking when they did the movie. Uh, that might be something I'm retroactively putting in there. So I'll say it's it's not moronic. Um, it's borderline moronic because still magic blood. Like okay, whatever. I mean, you might as well like. We need to get this magic wand. I mean, why not? I mean, you know, hell. I mean, oh, you know what? You need to eat three triples. Oh, and they got to be green ones. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. To me, it just seems a little wacky. But at, le- at least now, can, can, through our conversation, I'll give it a few points. Can can, can I ask this though? With with JJ's yeah, yeah. Star Trek two, was there some overarching story that the death could be related to? Because you know, with with Wrath of Khan, you know, I talked about you know, Kirk cheating the Kobayashi Maru and all this sort of thing. But it, it was also about just aging, you know, and, 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 and growing old. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't tied into that. Okay. What it was okay. tied into, it was tied into f- with friendship because there is okay. this, okay. there is a separation. Uh, they start off the, the, that, that movie with Kirk defying the prime directive in order to save Spock's life. I see. I see. And then Spock rats him out in his report <laughs> and, and then, and not rats him out, but just is is, is completely honest. And Kirk sure, wasn't, sure, right? And so Kirk loses command of the Enterprise, and oh. then gets demoted to first officer. And Dang. and Spock's going to go off and be, uh, you know, science officer on some other ship. And then, uh, you know, because in this universe, Christopher Pike, who who, you know, is still alive, but then Khan comes back and and kills him, and then so Kirk is out for revenge. Through the whole movie, and oh, I and again, I'm I'm spoiling the movie for you, but it's you know it, it whatever it's been out for a while. So the 
the premise is friendship, but then also like the price to be paid for revenge and that hubris of like, I'm just going to do it. And then, but it also adds a little bit of depth to Khan and, and kind of that same idea of, uh, of his loyalty to his crew and all those things. Yeah. So there's this, there's a bunch of different stuff. It's not the same, uh, I'm just getting old sort of thing, mm-hmm. but it is a, it is a, a, a story of like what friendship means. Okay. Okay. You know, and how important that is. Nice. And that's all I got to say about that. Very nice. I, yeah, unfortunately, I, I can't. I mean, having not seen it, it just seems silly for me to try to rate it. Yeah. So, uh, Lut- Lieutenant Khan, you got magic blood. Bubba Gump Shrimp. And another thing. So, what do you got for and another thing? So over the holiday break, uh, we we recently wrapped up watching uh, all six seasons of Thirty Rock. Good lord! Yeah, um, funny stuff. You know, again, I, I think I had this as a, as and another thing a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Do watch it, but my and another thing for this episode is a documentary we watched on Netflix. Uh, one that I think is is. Uh, apropos and you know especially i I don't mean to say apropos but it happened in january it happened in 1986 and Mm. for me growing up in new hampshire it was you know kind of a moment burned into my memory Mm -hmm. uh which was which was the challenger explosion um and and a documentary on that on netflix called challenger the final flight ironically Mm -hmm. done by jj abrams and his production company no way. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, very well done documentary. Highly recommend uh, checking it out. Like, like one of the things that stood out to me, which I, I thought was really interesting, and, and maybe it's just because of the times we're living in and just kind of the ease of, of vitriol that, that we kind of see in, in the press and in and, and between you know celebrities and politicians and that sort of thing. One thing I really appreciated was when, when you know, they kind of went into depth uh, a little bit about the program uh, for finding, you know, the, the finalist teacher for going up in, in, into space and, and mm-hmm. you know, teaching uh, a lesson or two uh, when they were up there. And uh, what I really liked was how they brought out, you know, they, they interviewed the, the runner up to Krista McAuliffe and just how it, it, I just thought it was really really cool how they they there was definitely a close relationship there you know what i mean and mm. and understanding how you know the documentary just wasn't about krista mcauliffe it, it was about the space program it was about nasa kind of the reasons that led up to what ended up happening and you know what really happened and what they found in terms of the failures that that led to the the challenger explosion but but the thing that kind of stood out to me a little bit was just it, it was just cool for me to see just that camaraderie, you know, that, that there wasn't, a, you know, as much as it was a competition for those teachers to kind of be the one to get selected, you know, the one that was the runner up, like she and, and McAuliffe had a close relationship and, you know, she, she was just very complimentary of her and, and just, you know, the, you know, what, what they went through together and that sort of thing. And I, I just thought that was really cool, you know, because hmm. kind of the times we live in, you don't really hear a lot of that, you know, it's, it's, it's usually kind of, you versus me sort of thing. And uh, it, it was just refreshing to kind of see a time when when people were, were kind of able to relate to each other and, and just at a higher level and, and just what they went through. And, and clearly, you know, a lot of the documentary was about 
the mechanics behind the failure and what ended up happening and, and just that sort of thing. And, and it is very tragic because kind of the theme throughout it is that this was something that there were people who saw coming and, and really mm. tried to call it. And it just, you know, powers that be or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, just kind of overrode certain things. And unfortunately what happened happened, but, yeah. um, but yeah, just 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 a a great watch. It's it's four episodes. Uh, you know, they're about 45, 50 minutes each, and uh, just for for me, it was just it was just interesting to kind of see that again. And you know, not that you want to relive that, but but you know, my wife and I were kind of talking about like you know, because you and I grew up in New Hampshire when this happened. Um, yeah. clearly impacted us a, probably a bit more than maybe the rest of the country. Um, I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know everyone was impacted by it in some way shape or form but but in new hampshire it was rare for someone from our state to to be kind of highlighted in in that kind of way and and to to see that play out the way it did is just you know it's kind of like our jfk moment you know from from our lifetime so uh just interesting to revisit it interesting to kind of learn some more things about it and uh just would highly recommend it right on uh, for me, I am going to go with uh, with a little music. I'm a, a big fan of the band Rustic Overtones, uh, Maine's own Rustic Overtones. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, uh, of one of our, our multi-time guests, Mr. Jason Ward, who is the Barry Sax player for Rustic Overtones. Uh, they played a, a, a New Year's Eve show. Uh, well, uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> I don't know where I was headed with that, but yeah, New Year's Eve show is going to be on Please New Year's Eve. Please allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my good Lord. <laughs> It's not even that late. Anyways, uh, so it was a fantastic show. And, uh, you know, for someone who has been listening to this band since the late 90s, you know, to, to to hear a band go through all of these different stages and different personnel and things like that, to to have a to have a show where you're kind of surprised. And, and things catch you a little off guard it is so it's such a, a nice pleasant surprise you know um, so right now rustic overtones does not have a keyboard player uh, and if you've listened to them at any point in their career you kind of know keyboards are are a are a fairly significant part of their sound on a lot of songs. Uh, back in the, back in the day when Spencer Alby was the was the keyboard player and also a, a big part of the writing process and and adding harmony vocals and all that. And even uh, I can't remember the guy who uh, it was a period of time when a, a, a keyboard player named Nigel Hall was their keyboard player. Very brief period of time. And then there was a, a another guy who I'm I'm ashamed to say I can't remember his name right now. But now they are are keyboardless. And so it's a just a three-piece horn section, bass, guitar, and drums. And the funny thing was hearing some songs that are that were kind of keyboard heavy, and having them play the song. And I'm like, wow, I never would have picked them to play this song because to me it's like, where, how do you do this song without keyboards? And they did it. And to hear just the different ways that the band kind of made it work and to hear those songs in a new way was really kind of cool and exciting um i mean it is a weird kind of show because there's not really an audience there uh it was done at a at a high school uh well i say it's at a high school but it's at one of those high schools that 
you know, has a performing arts center. So their audit- auditorium is like so much nicer <laughs> than even like a lot of music venues out there. Like it's not like not like for us, like you think of like the gym acafatorium that you would have in like elementary <laughs> school or junior high. Like No, this is a, this is like a proper setup. And, uh, you know, so it's a little awkward for anybody in that situation to play to an empty auditorium and to imagine people on the interwebs listening to you. Uh, so there's awkward moments in there. But overall, the band sounded great, and it was just a, a really good uh, kind of di- uh, dipping into all the way back to like real early rustic overtones to uh, even the latest album uh, that they did uh, called Rustic Overtones. And it was great because one of the songs that we had talked about, it's the first song on that latest album called Ode to Nodes, mm-hmm. was one of their closing songs. And I remember specifically Jason had saying like, well, gee, I don't know if we're going to work that in because it's a little bit difficult to do live and all that. And now it's kind of part of their set list. And it was the second to last song they did. And it was nice. just, it was so cool to hear that. Cool. Um, so again, it's always great when a band that you've been listening to for about you know 20 some odd years surprises you. And this was a great, a very nice surprise. And it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch, watch that on New Year's Eve. Uh, so I highly recommend anyone who's even curious about diving into Rustic Overtones, of course, dive into the discography. But this is a great little show to, to kind of give you a taste of a bunch of different, uh, different periods of their timeline, and then also just where they're at now. And uh, it's really good. Very cool. And, and, and I have to ask, so Given what is going on in the NFL right now, should we expect a return visit from Mr. Jason Ward? Well, I don't know. We, I, you know, I, I always feel bad because I mean the, the dude is a professional like gigging musician. He he has recorded multiple albums. Rustic Overtone re- recorded songs with David freaking Bowie, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, and and he's he's a music educator. Yeah. He is a tre- just a tremendous musical mind. Mm-hmm. And we have him on to talk about football. I don't know if we should do that or if like we ought to actually come up with a topic and be like, "Hey, you want to come on and talk about music instead of just like He's a you know. Tampa Bay fan. They they're, they're few and far between in the Northeast, right? Well, they're few and far between everywhere, honestly. <laughs> uh, I was going to go there, but I was trying to be gracious. Dang. <laughs> No, no, and you know what? Jason Ward would agree with me. <laughs> you know that you, you're oh, you're. Funny. That is one of those fan bases where it's like almost like you're self-deprecating just to cut off anyone you know who, who's going to come at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so possibly we'll have to see how that works out. Right. Uh, but but right now you know we're we're drawing to the end here, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. We're kind of we're we're bringing the curtain down. The the fat lady is off in the wings, warming up and getting a lozenge, and uh, and it's time for us to. Well, I mean, it's uh, lozenge is a is a word, right? I, I just like, I like how you just went there. It's like lozenge would not have been top of mind when you talk about the fat lady singing. But hey, well, I could go, I mean, go, brother, move, move as the spirit moves. Maybe she's having a crawler and then a lozenge. I don't know. Well, it's just an be. expression. I'm not thinking of a literal lady. I'm just thinking of the you know the. Ex- anyways, for crying out loud. And so uh, thank you all for for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you joining the the Free Range ADSC congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, other other podcasts and other fan bases have the universe, the galaxy. No, no, we have the we have the Free Range ADSC congregation. Uh, and I have no idea why, other than the fact that I just like the way it sounds. So uh, thank you all for joining us for this. This episode and any other episodes you might have been listening to uh, if you if you enjoyed this 
by all means, share with all your friends. Tell all your friends mm-hmm. and family about it and coworkers and random strangers on the street. And if you hated this, I'm not really sure why you stuck it out this long. But, I mean, hey, go ahead and tell the same people because, you know, we, we are not picky about who listens to this show. All, as long as them numbers keep creeping up, mm-hmm. we are happy. We are happy. We are very simple creatures. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple creatures. And, you know, if you've listened to us this long, you're quite well aware of that. So if you'd like to subscribe to us, you can do that on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify. You can find us on Podbean. You can go to freerangeedc.com, and that'll show you all of our episodes, and you can you can listen to your little heart's content doing that. Uh, subscribe to us on the social medias because, oh, we just love the social medias. It's just such a cesspool, and we like to think of our ourselves is the the bright spot in that cesspool the the bright shining shining, light the bright shiny like rhinestone in that cesspool of social media uh you can find us on facebook we are on twitter we are on instagram all of those are at free range idiocy as i mentioned previously if you would like to just completely trash me for the fact that i am a geek and i have not read the lord of the rings books I may have read The Hobbit, but I can't remember if I did or not. So go ahead. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever read any Tolkien. Go ahead and, and send all of that hate and, and vitriol to Tim at freerangeadc.com, and he can let me know about it, and I can just smile and say, I don't care. Uh, and uh, Along with any suggestions or thoughts or anything like that, questions that you might have for us. And now we come to... The, the 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 final final portion of me talking, and as I know, there's so many so many people out there just saying, "Thank God for that." I didn't know this chucklehead was gonna shut his <laughs> yap and we could bring this thing to a close. Oh, prayers do get answered. <laughs> um, we we uh, I like to I like to think back over this show, over the the epic time that we have had here, mm-hmm. and, and treasure all those moments. And I like to I like to think back and 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 just try to imagine and. Just ask my 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 cohort, my companion, my 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 partner in idiocy for damn near twenty years mm-hmm. now. What the hell did we learn today? Anything? Did we learn anything out of this entire thing? Oh, we did. We always do. Oh, there, well, there's always a few goodness for that. There's always a few nuggets to mine. So fantasy football, uh, fantasy football. A few rhinestones in the cesspool. Absolutely. I like it. Okay. Fantasy football. <laughs> you and I, we know nothing. No, nothing. Nothing at all. We know less than nothing, oh, quite honestly. Gosh. As we a talked about. A dartboard would have been a better idea. What, what's a that? A dartboard. A dartboard would have been a better idea for us Amen. going this season. As, as we talked about, when when servicing the story, when done appropriately, when, when uh, done with... Uh, Moderation and and with the with with the story in mind, uh, character death, character resurrection, and bringing back uh, can be effective, can be strong, mm-hmm. can be a good thing for the story. Uh, mm-hmm. Just just don't just don't Palpatine it, please. I mean, for oh. for the for goodness sakes. I love that term. We're we're using that from now Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Don't Palpatine don't it. Don't Palpatine <laughs> it. I mean, you know, to go against the man, just don't do it. <laughs> For the love of Pete, sweet <laughs> Moses, it, it just doesn't do the story any good. But uh, mm-hmm. I think we've learned when, when, when done right, when done effectively, when done in service to the story, spot on. Uh, finally, one one thing we we maybe not have learned, but at least at least need to acknowledge mm. is to thank the listeners uh, a, a, across this year uh, at. at 
well over uh, 1,250 downloads. We, we very much appreciate uh, folks listening to our idiocy, to the idiocracy, to the ramblings of, of, of two friends separated by a thousand miles. Uh, it it uh, is, is much appreciated. And Drivel, I believe, is another way that you can put that. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So just, just want to have a shout out to, to our listeners. Thank, thank you for, for taking the time to, to listen to our Tolkien-esque tomes of, of idiocracy. <laughs> if I may delve back into that. Oh, please And don't. finally, uh, to, to bring it all to a close and, and, and to kind of put this to bed, uh, Happy New Year's to all as we start 2021. Mm. Uh, yes. You know, it's a new year, but but some things don't change. Be safe, be healthy, be kind, and be good to one another. And while it may be a new year, there are some things that never change, and we still need to pay the bills. So please, hit the lights on the way out. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? Damn! <laughs> you are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out and don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. Well, about uh, our money for tonight. That's right. Uh, $200 and you boys drank $300 worth of beer. Oh, Johnny, I apologize. I forgot you were there. You may go now. Bones, I don't know if Khan's blood is going to regrow my hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm developing some constipation, though. And I have a rash developing on my back. (laughs) (laughs) No, Jim, that was there before. (laughs) Remember, you've had that creeping rash now <laughs> since we hit that hit that plan a few weeks ago for shore leave. Remember? Oh boy! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, bones, the uh, Gomerian herpes, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! 